on this week's show. We go continental to get the inside track on Epsilon United's new manager. The team was pretty good, but not between him and the fans and the boss. Darts in limbo. Steve Irving on the wait to find out Dartford's playoff fate. Absolutely no idea at all. Um, if Kim doesn't know anything, then uh, I certainly don't. Margate director Chris Chambers tells about the club's plans to improve Hartsdown Park. Trying to grow the club, uh, make sure it's sustainable um, going forward. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Kent Only Podcast. Hope you enjoyed uh, our new intro music there that I uh, managed to, to pull together this morning. Uh, so hopefully that will uh, that will be something going forward and we would like to hear uh, if there are any bands who'd like to provide our theme music. That would be really good. So if you know a band in Kent who'd like to give us our, a, a bit of theme music, we'll give you some publicity and you can be our theme tune to start every week uh, with Matt and myself talking over it. That would be fantastic. As always, we are brought to you uh, by Workforce Dimensions Limited. Uh, our good friends. I uh, hope they are well uh, in these increasingly tough times. As always, I am John Phipps. And on the line now is a man who you think is the nicest man in the world, and I often think that. But I found out this week he's not a fan of Ariana Grande. Matt Gerard, how are you? Not bad, not bad. If anybody watches a programme called Sam and Cat, it's one of the Nickelodeon programmes. I think it was before um, she got famous, Ariana Grande, and she's got this most whiny voice in it, and the kids absolutely love this programme. And I must have seen about hundreds of episodes as well. And she's got this whining voice. So every time I see her, I just, but she's, done, she's got some good songs out. Which the kids enjoy, but it's just one of those. Every, she could write the greatest song in the world. But all I'll ever think about is that annoying voice on a programme called Sam and Cat. So but is, it's it on is it not what the character rather than, than, than her personally? Than yeah, her. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it is a character, I think. But she might talk like that um, all the time. But it's just one of those things that just, she'll, you know, forever when she's, like Kylie Minogue at 50 and running the world. All I'll remember is that in that programme. So it's just, um, she's just annoying, really. But that lady who ever said, Joe said on the quiz as well, she also mentioned her voice. So it's not just me, is it? So I think it might even be on Amazon, John. So you can watch it. Sam and Cat is the programme. Why would I want to watch that? It's rubbish, but you might want to. Well, exactly. Um, I mean, obviously, it's uh, this is a first for the Kent Ollie podcast, Matt. Do you, do you know why? Uh, well, we keep going on and on and on. So... Um, this is, as well as it being the first one of us using our matching headsets, because I've now got a headset as well, uh, but this is also the first ever Kent Nonley podcast recorded in the month of June. Uh, here we are, June the 3rd. Uh, the we season's... must have done every single month now. We must have done a preview in July at some stage. We have, yes. We have now podded in every single month. So congratulations, mate. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, our first ever June, uh, we are still waiting uh, the, f- for news from the National League, uh, so we're going to keep going until we get that. Uh, then we will have a break, I promise you, because you know we're, we're, we're getting podcast fatigue, I suppose, is kind of what you might say. You see there, I couldn't even get that full sentence out. Uh, exactly, uh, yeah. That's how much we're starting to struggle. Uh, it's our 125th episode this week, our first episode uh, in June, and uh, that's all about motorbikes. Have you ever had a, an interest in motorbikes, Matt? Uh, no, I, as I can't ride a bike, as we've discussed before, even though I've taught my children how to ride a bike in, in lockdown, which is quite impressive of me to do that. Uh, no, I'm one of these people, you know, these people, when you see people on the motorbike and they're hanging off the back, sort of, you know, they've got their hands on the bar at the back. And I always think, right, I could never do that. I'd just be so scared. If I went on a motorbike, I'd probably squeeze the person in front to death because I'd be so absolutely scared witness of it. My father-in-law has got numerous motorbikes. And my, at one stage, my wife wanted to get a motorbike license. She didn't do it in the end. But um, no, it, it's not something that's really appealed to me, to be honest. 
No, me neither. And, and it's the noise they make. The amount of times we're sat here, you know, and one just hairs along the seafront. And it, it, why do you have to be so loud? Just, just be quiet. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, in this time when it's not much on the road as well. Well, funny enough, when I was doing the teaching the kids bike yesterday, you had people sort of rearing up the road, and of course. Some of the kids don't like it because it hurts their ears as well. Got sensitive ears. Yeah, no, not you know. I, I know a few bikers, but it's not something that really appeals. And I cannot believe that I would ever set foot or put my bottom down on a motorbike. A because I can't ride a bike, and B I'll be too scared. What about if you had to be couriered somewhere quickly? Do you oh, reckon yes. you'd be up for that? Well, if I was, you know, I'm famous, and I've got to go from the one show to five <laughs> live to present a program. Yeah, or like if you've got, if, if say, for example, uh, you're at a Dover game and then they've told you you also needed to go up the road to, to Maidstone for a five for a six o'clock kickoff. Oh, right. Uh, you know? No, because that's all on the, uh, the motorways and I'll be absolutely, no, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to control, control myself. I'd be too scared. Basically, I'd probably cry. Excellent. Right, well, let's move on then and, and we're going to keep with the football first. Uh, and I think it's safe to say... Uh, that when Matthew and I both woke up on Tuesday morning, uh, there would have been absolutely no chance in hell that we would have thought that the words Tennis Borussia Berlin would have been mentioned on the Kent Nonny podcast. But here we are, because uh, Ebb United announced their new manager yesterday, and it's Dennis Kutrieb, who was the manager of Tennis Borussia Berlin uh, in the fifth tier in Germany, uh, and has now been brought in to uh, Ebb United. We're going to hear shortly from someone uh, uh, who knows a little bit about Dennis and, and his football. But Matt, were you surprised by this? Uh, I have to say, very, very surprised. Uh, I always thought that Steve Lovell was going to get the job because they've got Kevin Watson there. He did a half-decent job. I think he like, was liked by the supporters. And you think when Kevin Watson's done, probably because they didn't want an, an extra wage on the bill because of Steve Lovell was there. Because no, Steve Lovell, as we know quite well, John, and, and I've spoken to him numerous times, he likes being a football manager. Now he's director of football at Ebsley. So I was surprised they were going to appoint a new manager because I was nailed on that Steve Lovell was going to get it. And B, they got somebody from the German fifth tier of football, which I don't, I don't know too much about. I think Tennis Borussia, back in the day when I read Tor, the, the history of German football were quite a big club in the 60s, but they seem to have hit on hard times now. But I'm surprised. Um, a, how they get hold of him. I must have a brilliant agent and how these things work. Um, good luck to him. But I would have thought that it'd be, if they were looking to appoint a manager, I'm not saying that Steve Lovell's knowledge is not there. I don't know if Steve Lovell knew of him. I'm going on the basis he probably didn't. But I'm shocked, to be honest. Yeah, it's, 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 it is just a, a very strange uh, appointment. Epsi obviously uh, put a statement out saying that they they are delighted uh, or pleased to announce the appointment of the highly regarded uh, Dennis Kutrieb as their manager. Uh, apparently, he was uh, bestowed with the title of uh, the brightest up-and-coming manager across all divisions, uh, and he uh, created headlines on announcing he was not renewing his contract with TB Berlin in early May, despite leading the league, uh, which attracted interest from clubs across the German pyramid. We'll discuss that one uh, very shortly. Uh, Katrib said uh, on the Ebbsfleet United website, for me, this is a logical step in my career. The opportunity to create the same results and progression in the competitive English system as having joined Germany 
is something I'm very ambitious to do. And while I had options to remain in the German leagues and take on a role at a higher level, I'm very hungry to work hard and succeed in England with Ebbsfleet United. I'm excited by the preparation and meticulous approach I've experienced already in my discussions with Ebbsfleet. We share the same philosophy and belief in terms of the high work ethic and standards that a club requires to consistently progress and win football football matches. Uh, and Ebbsfleet United said Dennis is one of the most highly regarded uh, young managers in Germany we're extremely pleased to secure his services to take the club forture, uh, forward a feature of Dennis's success has been his tactical flexibility and dynamic tactical management during matches along with his meticulous and thorough approach to preparation an exhaustive and thorough process has been undertaken to identify and profile the attributes that, is, that best suit our club going forward to provide the optimal structure for the stable and consistent football operations and results well it must have been quite a thorough process if they found him no. Yeah, it's it, it's well. We'll see in the interview. We're going to play out in a minute. It's to me, it's it's a strange appointment, but he's got to start somewhere. And I would have thought when Dortmund, well, maybe not Jurgen Klopp or something like that. You're going on. I'm trying to think of a, a foreign manager at our level who's been successful and gone up the leagues. So I presume he thinks he can do that. Off the top of my head, I can't do. Fair play to Ebbsleet, but I would have thought that, as I said before, there may have been better options who know the level, um, etc. like that. I take it Steve Lovell's still going to buy all the players in, and this guy's basically the coach or the, the trainer to put them all in. So unless he's bringing half of Germany over as well, which he may do, because there's a few players in his team currently uh, like that. It's just an interesting appointment, John, and I was shocked when I, when I, when I saw it, because... Uh, they had a decent manager in Kevin Watson. And fair play, this guy might be the best thing since sliced bread. But until we see results on the pitch and what level they're in, we'll have to find out. Yeah, well, let's hear this interview then. Matt uh, spent uh, some some time on Tuesday chatting to his contacts over in Germany. Uh, and he came up with Andreas Kruler, who works for Fußball, Wocker and Kicker. Uh, and he spoke to him uh, in, in, as you will hear Matt say, a first for the Kent Only podcast. So here is that interview uh, with a man who knows all about TB Berlin. Oh, well, this is a first for the um, non-league podcast, because at the moment we've just got a, a, a German journalist on the phone. We're going to talk about Dennis Katrin. We're very delighted to announce we've got Andreas Kruler on the phone, who writes for Kicker and Football Weekly in Berlin. First of all, Andreas, thanks for joining us on the Kent Non-League podcast. And it was a surprise to us in Kent today that uh, Dennis Kutrieb had got the job. Was it a surprise for you that he'd moved over the channel into England? It's, it's definitely a surprise to me that he moved. Uh, well, I was, I was sure that he, he stopped there to work for Tennis Borussia because actually he doesn't have the license for the next season for the Regionalliga. And um, yeah, I thought he, he gets a new job here somewhere in Berlin or... or yeah, that you get a job in, in England, uh, that's a big surprise to me, definitely. You mentioned it about there, because the Tennis Berlin are doing quite well. They would go to the next level. I see he's only got his, his B coaching badge, is that correct? He wouldn't be able to coach in the next level up, would that be true? If you coach in the, in the fourth uh, division in Germany, you have to, you have, to have the, the, a, the A license, and he doesn't have the A license. So, actually, he couldn't be the head coach of Tennis Borussia uh, anymore because they... They got promoted in, in, in the fourth fourth division. So, um, yeah, he just has to be licensed. I uh, see. Would, would he, um, if he could get the A licence, would you have thought they would like to keep him as manager? Um, yeah, well, to be fair, he had a good team. Um, the team 
support him definitely. They were first on the table, so he made a good job there actually. Yeah. He, um, so carry on. He was there for for two years. The first year he just was was uh, second at the end of the season, even though they had the biggest budget. You have to say that they had the, ma- the most money of all the teams there in the in the in the league. But yeah, to be fair, the season they really did a good job. They yeah, they are first. But it was close on the top of the table, of course. Um, they were not through. But uh, he did a good job, and to be fair, the team really followed him, and you could always see like a match match plan or something like this, you know. Yeah, would you say he was a good tactical coach? And how does he line his sides up? What sort of football does he play? Uh, to be flexible, you know. Nobody changed uh, the formation. Um, he was really one of those guys who, who watched, who analysed the opponent, who watched other games of the team steps play again next week. And so he had really different different tactics and different systems um, and he, he was very flexible that was pretty good and I would say he had a good hand for um, bringing someone in the first 11 you don't, you don't expect this and then this guy was the one who scored the goal you know this happened sometimes you, you've never how much of it was a surprise to you when it was announced in the UK that he'd taken Ebsley which is in the fifth tier of English football oh, it was a big big surprise to me actually um, you don't have this here in Berlin that the guy from, from this level, uh, moves, moves to the country, go to England. Uh, I really never expected this, you know. I was very surprised today. Yeah. People have seen the success of German coaches and maybe they want to, there's been a few in the Football League as well, a few levels above, that German managers are sort of um, popular. Do you think Katrib has got the ability to, to go forward in the game? Yeah, why not? I, I don't know, I'm really, I can't say this. Mm. I think he has a good chance, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Will, it, will this sort of, um, in Berlin, will this be uh, a news story or that he'd moved to a job in England or it, it will just sort of be brushed under the carpet that he's gone? I don't know. No. I don't know. No, no. But, but, but again, we'll keep in contact with you throughout the, the, the season and we'll keep you informed how he gets on. But... Um, it's a brave appointment, and but do you think the Tennis Berlin supporters will be upset he's gone? Nah, because they didn't have a good relationship to him. That was a big problem, actually. He and the supporters of Tennis Berlin said they were actually yeah, not friends. Why was Definitely that? Not. Uh, because there's a long uh, history about this club that wasn't... And he didn't, he didn't have a good uh, relationship to the, to the boss of the club because the boss had changed. In the summer before the season, and he was, um, it was a big fight between the bosses, and uh, yeah, actually he was a man of the old boss, and so um, yeah, that was a long story. It's actually, he, he didn't have a really good relationship to the supporters and to the fans. And actually, to be honest, I read in the what the supporters and was a fan. He said they said, fortunately, he's not there anymore. But to be fair, it, he was he was successful, but um, yeah, but the. The relation between him and the fans and, and the bosses were not, was not good. Oh, cool. The relation between him and his, his team was pretty good, but not between him and the, the fans and, uh, and the bosses. Does he does he bring young players in or is it experienced players? He's, he yeah, no, no, he played. We played with young players. That was a good thing because he was coach of the U19 before of the youth, youth team in the, in the club before he got the, uh, the the head coach of the first team. And he, yeah, he, he worked with young players and definitely he has a hand for, for young players, definitely. 
So it seems like they played good football, uh, great success, but he didn't quite manage to win over the supporters, which I think is an interesting point. Yeah, and I think really my other interesting point I got from the from from it all as well was that he couldn't manage at the next level, so he wouldn't uh, be carrying on that particular role. I thought that was quite interesting. He's got his B license, um, and he hasn't got his A license, and he couldn't go forward from there. From the reports I've got, I did. I've got a couple of contacts in Germany, uh, and a guy I've known for a while. He hadn't actually heard of him, so some of the statements from Ebsley saying he's the next big thing. Um, I, I may take with a pinch of salt from the people I know in Germany. That may not be the case, but the guy I know is from that. And interesting point, he said as well that he had the most money in this league. I say they're quite a big club, Tennis Borussia, or big history. Uh, and he fell out with the supporters. And I, I did have another contact, an actual supporter, um, who uh, I was going to speak to before I spoke to this guy. And what he basically said, he wasn't, wasn't willing to come on record, but he wasn't very complimentary about him from a supporter's point of view. And we're not kicking this guy down before he's even started, but it's just an interesting backstory back to where we are. We'll have to get somebody from Epstein on or even get Dennis on himself next week. It'll be interesting to see. But, yeah, I, yeah there was a few complimentary things about him. You know, the guy said there that his, his, his skill was pretty good. He, he did well organises his teams well but a bit like us he seemed really really surprised that he got the gig it's, it's an interesting one because he say the absolute statement and and obviously having heard that interview uh the bit about him being coveted higher up the pyramid sort of um rang rang a bit odd for me because obviously he wouldn't have been able to do that uh, and you do sort of wonder why hasn't he got the next step up if he's got the managerial ability to 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 take a team up, surely the, the logical step for him would have been to, to get that badge and, and be able to, to carry on the good work that he'd done. Yeah. Again, there may have been something between it from there. They, again, looking at the results they had, they play in a like sort of size, like um, in Berlin, like East Hansa Rostock's second team. They've had some big results some big wins. Oh, and I think they are a bigger club with bigger budget. And again, it sounds like we're, kicking this guy when he's down he hasn't even started yet but I thought it was an interesting viewpoint to get from from a Germany point of view um it's just a strange appointment I just can't see we know the issues that Ebsley have had before with not paying their wages um the issues with Daryl McQueen and Gary Hill came in and he was allegedly um putting his own money in to pay the players wages to me, it just seems a strange appointment. And again, it's only 20, less than 24 hours since he's actually had the role. You think, where is this going to go? Is this going to actually work out? He doesn't know what league he's going to manage in. Does he know the levels? It's an interesting point. If, you got, if you're a football man, you can pick a player out. But how does it work with Steve Lovell? I'm just a bit bemused by it all, to be honest. Yeah, um, we'll come on it from, from the other point of view as well. Uh, the Epsom United website has spoken to a, a journalist called Alex Howell, uh, who is a, uh, an expert on German football. Uh, and he says uh, in an article which appears on the Epsom website that the 40-year-old Katrib uh, has been making consistent ripples in one of the most competitive environments in European club football. Uh, in two seasons at uh, Mommenstadion, he led TB, as they are affectionately known to their fans, to second place finish in 2019, and he saw the top of the table before the pandemic halted football in Germany. Uh, he also took them to the final of the 2019 Berlin Cup, where they lost to the fourth division side, Victoria Berlin. What is, he says it's one of the most uh, demanding destinations 
domestic competitions because there's only one promotion place on offer uh, with various regional uh, divisions. Uh, obviously, TB had two spells in the Bundesliga during the 1970s, uh, and the success, he says, was by no means a foregone conclusion. But using a mix of both academy graduates and seasoned professionals, uh, TB have proven to be potent in attack, mean in defence. Uh, they scored 61 goals when football was suspended in March, outscoring all the other sides in the division, uh, and only one team ha- could better the 17 goals they had conceded. Uh, a keen eye for tactical pragmatism, using a number of varied formations as and when the situation called for. Um, and... You know, these are great plaudits and Alex is obviously knows his stuff about about Katrib and, and uh, his, his time in Germany. But my question mark with that would be, does it work in the National League like it might work in the German fifth division? I, I, I mean, I know nothing about the German fifth division. Uh, as I said, this time, what, 36 hours ago, I, I'd never given the German fifth division a second thought. And now here we are discussing it and wondering how, how good they are. So... Uh, it's 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 one of those, isn't it? Uh, it's it's it, we're not going to know until the season starts, whenever that is. But that's a, a really interesting interesting appointment. Yeah, uh, fair play to Ebbsfleet. They've gone outside the um, the remit. There must be managers in Kent and in the local area who would probably take you know looked at that job and taken it despite all the problems of it. But they've got from that. I I would love the backstory of how Ebbsfleet got a hold of this guy. That's, but that is, I just can't, you know, unless he's got a really good agent. If you go on transfermarket.com, it tells you who his, agents, who his agent is. So I don't know how that works. I know when you speak to people that agents are constantly contacting clubs saying they've got the next biggest thing. Maybe the agent have done it and Ebsfleet have looked at it and gone from there. So they know they've got a, a new CEO, Ebsfleet, which he's been in the football industry a while. So maybe he's got some contacts, but we'll see how it goes, John. Uh, I think I can probably see how it's likely to go and I'm hopefully I'll be proved wrong and we'll discuss that maybe at the uh, last show of 2020 and see where everything's going if football's back up and running. Well, exactly. And and I suppose if that agent's that good, maybe we should sign him up. Yeah. Again, it's the fit. You've got to think about German football as well. Of course, it's the top two. Then it's all regionalised after that. So the, the third division is a lot of regionalised division and it's a lot of reserve teams. So, you know, Bayern Munich seconds, etc., like that. Then you seem to think you've got another league below that, fourth division, and then you've got another league below that. So that you've got to think of the level as well. Tennis are a bigger, big club in Berlin, but you've got to think about the level he's managing. The people who've been successful, like Stendhal, went to Barnsley, didn't he? He was a Bundesliga coach, first and second division. So, and I know he went into a high level. So. You've got to look at the level as well. So I haven't been on the Ebsleep message boards and see what their fans are thinking. It would just be interesting to find out, to be honest. If, if we've got an Ebsleep fan on who listens to the show, we'd love to get your viewpoint on this. Where are you standing from? We're, I'm looking at it pretty negatively, to be honest. But And that's probably very much wrong of me. But if you're an Ebsleep season ticket holder or you're a big Ebsleep fan, when you saw that pop up on your um, club's website, what was your initial thinking? We'd love to hear from you. Exactly, we certainly would get in touch with us on Twitter at Kent NL Podcast. Uh, and the final word on Ebbsfleet United, I suppose, uh, should go to a friend of the show, Kevin Watson. Uh, obviously, we spoke to a couple of weeks ago after he was uh, let go. Uh, very good on Twitter, Kevin. And he just said, what's wrong with our own good, young, promising English coaches slash managers? There are many from our own pyramid who deserve a chance at a good level. 
However, good luck to my successor at Fleet, Dennis Katrib. Hopefully, he'll get the time to succeed. Uh, so there's the thoughts of Kevin Watson. And, and you know, I, I think you can tell that the frustration for him, because I, I'd imagine he was probably as shocked as everybody else. I, 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 did you, I, I, I was on the press release. Did you get, did you get it as the press release, did you, John? No, I didn't. No, I'm not I, that I important. got it in my email about this thing. So for some reason, I want the Fleet's press release now. Look at so. you. You look at me. Yeah, so... And I had to read it. And I had to read it twice. So I, got, I, got, I, should, I shouldn't be so negative, really, should I? But it's just bizarre. I, I hope, I'm hoping that he romps it home and, and proves me absolutely wrong. Um, but I'd, I'd be interested to see how it works. I really would be. What about his assistant? Are they, how they're coming from that? But my final point on this, in my opinion, Ebsley have had the chance of two decent managers. They've had Kevin Watson. They didn't want him. And they've got Steve Lovell, who knows Kent football. Managed at a higher, decent level. They had him as well. Why would they get this guy in? A, it's another wage. And B, they've had managers in place. Yes, Matt Joe, they're saying he really hopes FC United do well. We'll see what he says just before uh, they take on Dover uh, on that front, if they are indeed in the same division. All right, let's move on then. Uh, obviously, the Na- we've talked a lot about the National League. I've interviewed with Jim Parmenter uh, last week, got a bit of traction. It was uh, discussed on the National League full-time podcast. Uh, Ian Dennis bringing up uh, the points raised by Dover Athletic Chairman Jim Parmenter about the uh, promotion uh, situation involving Barrow uh, and so on and so forth. But what hasn't really been discussed is it, all the way down is what's going to happen with promotion from the National League, uh, from the National League South. We've, we talked, obviously, will FC United be relegated? But obviously, if FC United are relegated, then someone's going to have to fill the void. Uh, of the Kent teams in the National League South, Dartford were flying high when football stopped in the playoff places and ready to go. Uh, however, they are now at a stage where things have just gone on too long, as we're about to hear. I spoke to co-chairman Steve Irvine uh, to ask him what he thought about the current situation. Uh, absolutely no idea at all. I mean, if Jim doesn't know anything, then uh, I certainly don't. Um, Jim's a board member and uh, is closer to the situation than I am. And uh, it's very frustrating that uh, they just seem to want to wait until the EFL make a decision and the EFL decide between themselves within each division what's going to happen. So it, it's a very strange situation. But no, have no idea what's going to happen. As a team who is currently in the playoff positions in National League South when the table stopped, what, what would you like to see happen? Um, well, <laughs> what we'd like to see happen when the tables, you know, when, when the, the, the fixtures were cancelled... We wanted a, a quick decision on, on as soon as was possible to, to play the playoffs. Um, but the time, has, as it's dragged on, I think has really made the decision that it's probably more sensible that they can, the game, the season's completely cancelled. How you then decide on who goes up is another matter altogether. But uh, it, it just is, for me, it's intolerable that we're now on the 1st of June and there is no decisions to, to where we go from here. I suppose the frustrating thing is, is you know, if I've got a make-believe list of clubs who were ha- who might have been relieved when things were stopped and clubs who weren't too pleased, you would have been very near the top of ones who wanted to keep on playing because you were doing so well. Yeah, no, we, we were on a great run. Uh, we were the form side for, for several weeks. So, you know, it was conceivable that we'd carry that run on into, into the playoffs. Um, we're very keen to get promoted back to the national division um whether it was through the playoffs or, or whenever we need to get back there it's the place to be for us uh, but where we stand at the moment it, it's it's just it, it's we're just in such limbo that um i've no idea when things can start again 
and I suppose from a from a football club perspective, you know, we don't know. You still don't know what's happened with with the season that should have finished by now. But also, you've got to look ahead to next season and and start your planning for that. And I suppose that's a, another facet that's coming into it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we had a Zoom meeting this morning to, to debate certain parts of moving forward. Uh, our catering team are completely closed down, almost completely closed down. They've got one small contract linked to uh, one of our own contracts uh, for some training work for the NHS. Um, apart from that, they've got no work at all. Looking ahead to when games might start and they can start putting functions on again we've no idea how many in terms of numbers that they'd be able to uh, go to in terms of the functions we've no idea what the attendance levels might be we could be restricted to for instance a quarter of capacity if you've got a quarter capacity that's about or you know it's around the average of a thousand or so but then you don't know what the rules and regulations are going to be in terms of the bars and the catering facilities. So it's a, it's a very much unknown factor, even when we try to look ahead and plan for the uh, new season, whenever that might be. And I suppose also from the from the on-field side as well, you, you must have players who are out of contract. And, and I'm guessing Steve King's kind of in a bit of limbo as well. Yeah, I mean, as with most of the clubs at our level, the player contracts generally run to the end of the season, April the 25th or the last game, whenever that might be, if it's playoffs. So the vast majority is one player who actually is on a longer contract, but all of them are effectively out of contract, although legally, I don't know where we stand, because if the playoffs carry on, then the contract may well be an implied contract through to the end of the playoffs. Uh, but I know clubs are already talking to players and, and players are already signing for other clubs. So, again, it's something that the FA and the National League have got to um, guide us on and make a decision on uh, what players are still under contract and what who, who aren't. And looking ahead to next season, Steve's already working on the squad for the, for the new season, whenever that might start. So uh, he, he's still keeping very close to the situation. I suppose what one big thing that we're seeing with, with clubs in the Football League is they're being told, you know, if... if that the players have all got to be tested and I think it's around £70,000 per, per club. If yeah. it came to it and they said to you, right, you're, you're in the playoffs at the end of the month, but you've got to fund testing all your players, what would you do? Um, I have no idea, to be honest with you. In terms of the cost, I don't know what that would that would entail. But, but we're, not, we're not in the position at our level. I think there's many clubs at our level that are in a position to uh, be able to fund something like that. The uh, EFL is very different. If they could make a decision as a league instead of messing about as divisions, it would help. Um, but they're in, a, they're in a better position with television rights, etc. They probably could play more games behind closed doors. Um, but for, for National League and the regional divisions, I think it's almost impossible to foresee a time where we could play without the fans coming through the door. We certainly couldn't. No, I, th- I think that's definitely the, the things. I think the Premier League clubs, are, I'm pretty sure they can actually turn a profit even with no fans. But clubs yeah. at your level, it is the lifeblood, isn't it? It is for, for, for very, very many of the clubs. You know, we, we are in a fortunate position where we've worked very hard to to provide income on a non-match day basis. So we have two or three contracts that don't uh, don't change whether or not there's a game on. But the, you know, I, I think I would guess it's something like a third of our annual turnover uh, pays the wages. So, uh, and, and similar to that is the uh, income coming from game receipts. So, you know, we can't do without the fans coming through the door. Um, and I suppose the other thing as well is looking on your Twitter, uh, your pitch isn't ready for any football at the minute, is it? <laughs> no, that 
that's a sore point in uh, in many ways. Um, I think uh, Steve King uh, was surprised that the work had started, but at the end of the day, the work had to start at some stage and we couldn't leave it too much longer. We're already three weeks behind when we would normally start doing that work. Uh, the chances of us having a home playoff game, if the playoffs are played and we were to be the home side, are very remote. We'd have to get to the final first and then the side in seventh place would have to knock out the other above them so um, the chance was taken I don't think there's likelihood of a, a game being played in the next month anyway um, but yeah if we, if we're to be told to play tomorrow that that would be a problem but the work had to be done and that pitch is going to be in absolutely tip-top condition when it's uh, ready for the new season and um, away from from the virus and everything it seemed like a bit of a bold decision to bring in Steve King when you did but boy it's paid off hasn't it it has so far absolutely um yeah, it, it, I think it was a bold decision. But then again, you could also look at it as a very easy one to make. He's uh, you know, the manager that's got the form with uh, clubs in the National League South. Uh, nobody's got a, a track record like him. Um, but yeah, we, we looked at all the candidates and his track record was number one by far. And therefore, we thought we've got to go with the, the best man for the job. And uh, so far, it's paid off. And his record so far this season has been second to none. What were the challenges of, of you as a club of having bringing a manager in uh, in sort of October time and then him basically completely remoulding the squad? There must be some difficulties for you there. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it, was, it was a challenge for, for us as a club. Um, but when you appoint a manager, you have to put, put complete and utter faith in them to do what they feel is the right thing for the club. Uh, in the past, we've never had such high turnover, but then again, we've had a policy over the years where we had former players as manager, and uh, this is the first time we've gone against that policy. So, yeah, it's a, it was a big change, big turnover, um, sometimes slightly uncomfortable for us when we've had players with us such a long time who move on and you guys come in. But that's, that's the job, unfortunately. Uh, and that's what Steve King's paid to do. Uh, he's paid to get results. And so far, he's done that. And I suppose that the, the big challenge now is when football does restart, to build on that and, and make sure you hit the ground running. Yeah, that's going to be quite tricky to, to do, obviously, until we know, A, whether this season's got any future, and B, when we can start the new season. Uh, you know, He'll need a, a, a pre-season really, whether it's for the playoffs or for the, the new season, to really get the players up to scratch and, as you say, hit the ground running. But I've got every faith that uh, he, he and we as a club can do that. I suppose just finally, you would just like to, to hear from the National League and, and have a bit more communication and just know what's happening because you can't just keep on waiting. No, we can't. As I say, we're now into June. Um, we, we do get communication from them. It's probably not as much as we'd like. But um, if there's nothing to say, there's nothing to say. We we felt all along that they probably could have made a, a decision earlier. I understand that they're waiting on what the particularly League Two decide in the FL as to who's going to be relegated and, and who can then get promoted and how that's going to be done. But um, it's got to the stage now where enough is enough. Somebody's really got to get hold of this. We now have to wait till the 8th of June, I think it is, for the next EFL board meeting. So we've got another week before... Uh, there's a potential of any decisions made and uh, time's just dragging on and it's it's got rather boring now. Well, Darts are saying this, even though they've got the chance of promotion, it's just gone on too long. Let, let's just call a, a, a close to it now, Matt.
I think the best way of describing that interesting that Steve was frustrated, wasn't he? To be honest, yeah. and, uh, and I can, and I completely, completely agree with him. It seems to be that everything could happen or should might happen next week when the football league decide what they're going to do on the eighth. I think it is um, uh, for that. But you know, nothing's been mentioned about the the south sides. They've done their work on the pitch. Um, a quick decision had to be made at the time on this, and we keep going over it, but. Once they once they decided that the league was not well was ended, they should have made a decision there and then what they were going to go and do. Clearly, they haven't. No idea going forward. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I feel for clubs like um, Dartford who've had a, a decent season. They were in the white there. The player contract issue. Yeah, I just I just feel I just feel for them a little bit. But hopefully, something's going to end sooner rather than later. But from what Ian Dennis said again. It could still be null and void, which means nothing could happen, couldn't it? Well, exactly. I, I think it's it's. Uh, I mean, I, I can see now. I, I just think with the way that everything else has gone, it null and void seems to be the way to to go at the bottom. Um, you know, and and I think that will be the sense with it. Or do you perhaps in because I think in both north and south, if my memory serves correctly, Wealdstone were a long way clear. Kings Lynn were a long way clear. So do they, if they're going to lose a team, I mean, it's so difficult. But if, if the National League, I think now we know that the National League are going to provide at least one team into the Football League. Uh, and I think that there is a possibility that Stevenage will come down. There's a possibility that Stevenage won't come down. But either way, if the National League is going to end up having 23 teams next year, should they say, right, well, Kings Lynn and... Uh, Wealdstone, you were far enough clear, you come in, we'll only relegate one, which is Chorley, who are a long way adrift at the bottom, and then just go from there. But it's all just mixed messages and, and all this and this and this, and, it, and it, it's just it's just so frustrating. So I'm of the mindset that maybe null and void, if 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 that's the way it's going to be everywhere else, then that maybe that's the way it should be in the National League. But the issue is going to be they've got to fill those places. However, we're not talking about that now. We're talking about Dartford, uh, and that that it's such a shame because that they've had such a good season, or well, since October they've had a brilliant, brilliant campaign. And and, and as I said there, on my list of clubs who would be disappointed, that would be them, wouldn't it? They'd be very near the top. Yeah, I think Steve King and probably if he if he started. You know, the season started when he joined the club as manager. They'd probably be top of the league and we'd have had a totally different conversation about if them going up from there. So, yeah, they've had a good season. You'd have fancied... I know Steve King's record in the playoffs, he's lost a lot of finals, but you'd have fancied them coming through the way they were playing, the players they were getting back from injury. Um, it just puts them in a in a real limbo, what Dartford do. I think one of the points you made there, he's only got one player contracted for next season. And we know Steve King is an absolute wheel and dealer in the transfer market. Of course, they might be likely to sign up some of the players that he already had. But it, it, I think the, as a lot of, we mentioned last week, a lot of things has been forgotten about this is what we're going to do next season. And I think that is a major issue. And you're thinking about Dart from there. He mentioned about third of their gate receipts come from third of their money, come from gate receipts, third come from contracts, etc., like that. How can they move on? At a certain point, if the football, league, if the National League says, right, now we're stopping it now and we're starting in 1st of October, clubs can move on from that point of view. I think it's the uncertainty and leave them in a limbo situation, which is a problem for, for Dartford and a lot of sides in this division. Exactly. It's 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 really difficult. And, and you know, I, I feel for everybody involved in these clubs. But 
Yeah, for for a lot of clubs, it's it's sort of right. Well, now we've just got to get through to to when football can start again. And and I suppose what is reassuring really is for, for clubs at this level, the, the difference is is the contracts that, that their outgoings now are a lot less than clubs higher up the pyramid, aren't they? So realistically, that they might be in a, in a slightly better position, but uh, it's just a, an absolute mess, isn't it? Well, I one thing come out of that. I'd have to. I'd love to be on the phone when Steve King saw that Dartford had ripped their pitch up and he rang up the, the <laughs> club there. I would have thought there'd have been expletives, deletives in there, wouldn't it, when he saw that? But I think they've made the right decision as well about the pitch. You know, Dover got promoted from seventh place into the National League, so it can be done, but it's a long old process of doing it. And Dartford pitch, which can, which has been a little bit, which has been looked after really well, and they have to do that work at the time. So, yeah, clubs have got to move on. They can't all be sitting there waiting to know what's going on. So I admire Dartford from that. But from what we knew with Steve Irving and the rest of the directors at Dartford, Dartford are a very well-run club. So they'll have the best interest of the club at heart. And I think we, we saw that when, he, when you mentioned it about it, when he said it was a brave decision to give Steve King the job. They had to look outside the circle they'd been in. And I think that shows that Dartford are probably in a good position to go forward from here. But I think for his point of view, he's getting as frustrated as we are. And he's a lot closer to it than we are. I hope it can be uh, sorted out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the, you did mention about next season. Well, the National League did say uh, yesterday that they believe it's not practical or sustainable to start the next season behind closed doors. And has told clubs uh, that the start dates of August 8th, 2020 will inevitably need to be reviewed and updated. Uh, so I think we're, it's all safe to say that we won't be starting football. We won't be starting the 2021 season uh, in two months time, will we? No, I'm tr- I'm thinking, I think if we get, again, there's mixed messages from the media, etc. like this. When do you think things will start? If they said the National League, you, know, you can't have more than events than 5,000, teams like, all our teams can get going, can't they? Yeah. Well, and, and I suppose as well, it's it's all about. I've I've seen a lot of things about sort of percentage of capacity for for social distancing, uh, and a lot like I, I think uh, Steve Irving mentioned it there. In fact, didn't he? Yeah. I, I th- this was my theory when somebody said about this. Using Dover for example, really, there's one way in at Dover, and either you walk, basically you walk clockwise or anti-clockwise. So of course everybody's got to come out the same way, and it. If the government changes it, well, in your point of view, John, as well, if they change it from two metres to one metre, which they're saying there's distancing, does that completely open everything up? Because that's probably the, the standard norm anywhere, isn't it? And that opens up the whole of the rest of the economy if they do things like that. So if they change it from two metres to one metre, does that help football? Well, I, I would imagine it certainly would. Uh, so that, that would be that would be something. But I think, you know, we've just not got to rush it because... It's going to start when it's going to start. And if we have to play catch up, we have to play catch up. But let's just, I mean, uh, it, it would make absolutely no sense to sit here and say, right, well, the season's going to start. Although I have seen uh, in the last hour or so, uh, in fact, I will tell you how many, yeah, just over an hour ago, the Scottish Premiership uh, season is to start in August. Uh, they have a new deal uh, with Sky Sports. And obviously they will be playing games behind closed doors, but they will be doing virtual season tickets Um with for for the season uh, for top flight clubs, uh, so they will start when in August, and, and I suppose that you've got to start somewhere. And if it's going to, but and if they can afford to play behind closed doors, then they can. But it, our clubs simply cannot afford to play behind closed doors, and that is that is the the, the difference between the top levels and the, and the bottom levels, isn't it? So so, so that will. Um... So they're, st- they're starting then? They're going to start, are they? Yep, in August. 
All right. So. Interesting. So, mm. Mm. really, well, I presume they, their TV deal with Sky Sports is probably, Sky Sports have probably pushed them to do this. But interesting to see when when they can open up to to um, to people and, and a crowd. I presume the National League, once you know, you think about this, the season ends normally, May, the fixtures come out the 1st of July, and then the season starts. So how long pre-season would you have to have, and how long do you give it on that as well? Well, I'd imagine that they'll want to have a, a six... Uh... A, a, a six-week pre-season because that, that's standard, isn't it? And and people, yeah. you got to play friendlies. And, and you know, the, and as we've seen, a lot of people think football is very, very important. So you won't be wanting to go in cold, will you? So six, six weeks. So you're thinking six weeks, uh, maybe October. Well, it depends. Yeah, depending where the world is at that, we don't know anything from going forward as well, do we? So no, interesting times. But yeah. I, I, I presume they're all waiting to see how the Premier League gets on in a couple of weeks and go from there. But yeah, it's we, we all want football, don't we? Yes, we all want football, and, and I think you know I, I can't wait. I, funnily enough, I've just seen uh, the they're starting to talk about the fixtures for the Premier League, aren't they? Yeah, they haven't been released yet, have they? Are they not, I think they're doing them today. But uh, word on the street is that the first of the BBC's live Premier League games. Uh, which is sure to bring millions of people to to the uh, to the front of their TV is go- apparently going to be Bournemouth against Crystal Palace. Oh, amazing scenes! Yeah, yeah. that is amazing. Um, yes, we'll all be glued to that. Uh, uh, Jefferson Lerma has been crying out for a, uh, a prime time BBC One appearance, hasn't he? All right, so yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought that they, the Sky and the rest of them are going to willing to give up their um, um, what they had basically. I would have thought, is it so um, no. to, to help things out? Exactly. Uh, right then, let's move on because we do have a third interview for you, as you probably would have heard at the top of the show. Uh, because on Monday, uh, the first of June, uh, new start, new brush, and uh, Margate released some official pictures of what they hope Hartsdown Park is going to be like. Planning permission uh, is being sought for the gate uh, to Im- make improvements, build a hotel uh, at, at the site of Hartsdown Park and uh, just generally finally get on with what they've been promising for years. Uh, after that news was announced, I spoke to director of the club, Chris Chambers, who told me that this time he hopes is going to be the one. Combination of uh, a long period of hard work, really, in getting it together and... Uh... Uh, many years um, trying to get this to uh, move forward. Really, it looks quite impressive the, the the plans. So I suppose that's something that you've you've all worked hard together on. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, the original we've got planning already on the site for an eighty bed hotel and various elements of the redevelopment, um, which was commenced uh, some while ago when the fives were put in. Um, so it's really built upon that, updated it to uh, utilise, you know, what the changes that have happened, both in the local economy, the, the tourism market, football, all sorts of uh, different things which are needed to uh, make the, the project uh, sustainable for my football club, you know, at this moment in time rather than 10, 12 years ago. How important is it for, for Margate Football Club to have this done? Well, it's, you know, it is one of those things which uh, is important in trying to grow the club, uh, make sure it's sustainable um, going forward, 
making sure that the growth, both on and off the pitch, can carry on for many years to come. Um, the, the the income that we'll get from the activities uh, will sustain both the team itself, uh, help further development of the club, but also provide you know a sporting uh, hub for the community uh, and obviously a place where um, travellers to Margate can uh, can stay. I suppose it's been one of those things that's been going on for so long. There's been so many sort of false dawns, I guess. Are you confident this is this is the one? I'm as confident, confident as I can be. Um, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time and effort, and money, uh, getting to this stage. Um, you know, you wouldn't do that if you weren't intending to make these things happen. Um, you know, but who knows? I mean, nobody could have predicted where we would be back at Christmas at the moment. So we first got to get this situation out of the way, get football back underway, get the planning permission through, and then we can take it forward from there. From the club's point of view, I suppose that the, the fact that there has been no football for a couple of months, that must have hit the club as well. Oh, extremely hard, yeah. I mean, you know, losing income overnight like that is, is difficult for all businesses, not just not just Margate Football Club. Um, very, very difficult, you know. Um, lots of uh, loyal staff and, and people that, you know, we've had to furlough and, uh, you know, players that have, have, you know, had no idea, you know, when they're going to be back playing. It's it's extremely difficult situation. Um, but let's hope the worst of it's behind us now. We can uh, all get uh, get some football back at Hearthstone Park. I suppose from a footballing point of view, that the end of the season may not have made too much difference to you because you, you were firmly mid-table, weren't you? Yes, I mean, it's a bit of an anti-climax, really. But, uh, you know, genuinely, you, you want to try and finish the season on a on a high note, really, to, to move forward so that... Uh, your plans for pre-season and the next season are, uh, are in motion and uh, you're starting to build again. Um, it's just uh, it's going to be a strange strange feeling when we get back to pre-season, whenever that may be, um, to be able to um, uh, get that motivation going. And uh, uh, we don't just don't know what that situation is going to be. I, I suppose you don't have any idea when either. No, at the moment, it's, you know, we have no idea whatsoever. Hopefully in the next uh, week or so, we should get some clarity from the leagues. And uh, with the uh, elite end of football uh, commencing again this month, then perhaps, you know, that will be a driver to uh, make some decisions happen. Obviously, the club made the decision a few years ago to, to put in a 3G pitch. How's that all working out? Is, is it doing what you hoped it would? Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's going really well. I mean, it's great to see it, you know, the whole club being used night after night, day after day. Um, you know, the youth teams playing on there, um, other groups of uh, teams and uh, other other leagues playing as well. All brings income into the club, um, keeps the uses going, but also provides the community community hub that we want it to be. I suppose it is also one of those is, you know, your stadium needs to be it needs to be up there. I mean, I, I covered Margate during the, the Bob Lasler era and, and you would get massive crowds in there then, but the, the stadium just wasn't ready. And I suppose it's one of those things where you do need to have the stadium in place as well as the team, isn't it? It is. It's a difficult one. It's the you know, chicken and egg situation. Is it do you, do you build the stadium and the people will come or do you build the team for the people to come and then build the stadium? It's, it's, uh, it's a tricky one, but uh, it's a balance that you have to achieve. And obviously crowds are, are, are probably down on where they were a few years ago, but this is all part of bringing people back to the club, isn't it? It is, yes. I mean, yeah, naturally, I think if you look right across 
the non-league football uh, gates have been dropping, um, what with all the other activities which are going on these days and the amount of football on television. But certainly, you know, we've, we've suffered in the last uh, year to 18 months with uh, falling attendances. Um, and it's, you know, we do need to, to alter that around and get people back to, back to watching Margate in the glory days. And um, with, with regard to this latest, but what's the sort of time scale? When, when will it be up before the planning committee, and, and when could we maybe see some work starting? Well, planning should take uh, twelve weeks, but uh, obviously with the current COVID situation, that's obviously taking a, a lot longer at the moment. Um, but we're hoping that that will go through in the next three to four months, um, and then there's quite a bit of pre-plan, pre-construction work to do, um, archaeology to deal with. Um, we're hoping, you know, all things being equal for a start at some point next year. And what sort of capacity would that bring Hartsdown Park up to in terms of seats? Well, in terms of the new elements that we're adding, it gains around about 900 to 1,000. But with all the elements in that we've already got permission for, brings capacity up to around about 5,000. And I suppose one thing you're finally going to sort out is the changing rooms, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, to be able to do this, we've got to... Uh, got to move the changing rooms anyway um, so there'll be some temporary ones put in place and then hopefully the new first team facilities will uh, will be impressive enough to, to keep the team happy. Uh, and I suppose just finally this, this is a real opportunity for Margate and I suppose you'll be hoping that, that fans and people in Thanet will, will really get behind you and if there is a need to, to get onto the council about this plan application that they can do that for you. Yeah, absolutely. We hope that people can see this, that it's it's not just about Margaret Football Club. This is about generating, you know, hotel space, bed space for Thanet. You know, the, the Margate uh, is on the up. Um, it's a destination of, of uh, choice at the moment for people from the whole of London and West Kent. Um, and it's, it's going to provide a, a community hub and a great feel for everyone around. So let's hope everyone gets behind it writes a letter of support or an email into the council and uh, gets behind Margate Football Club. Margate then, Matt, we've talked about them so many times about where they are and, and what they can do. And, and I suppose this will be the one, won't it? If they can get this over the line, they'll be delighted. Yeah, it's, it, the video they sent out, I thought was very impressive how they're going to do it. Um, if you know Hartstown Park, it is in quite a residential area. So I would have thought there may be some people who not be happy with this coming but looking how it works uh, the facilities at Hartsdown Park need to be improved so you know changing in basically a glorified caravan porter cabin um, one behind the goal is not there they make a lot of noise at the opposite end where the where the bar is this could really improve it it's interesting what you said there that the gates have gone down a because they haven't been that successful or maybe because the facilities aren't great uh, from that and you look at the facilities there it will go ahead. Well, um, not go ahead, but it, it looks promising. Again, like everything, a bit like the Ebsic thing. I'll wait to see what happens with the council, how they're going to do it. If they want Margate Football Club to succeed, it's a great opportunity to boost the area and boost the club. Um, I seem to have people um, who are pretty positive on the board there. I think it was a good interview from Chris. I think he came across really well. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, living being a Thaddeus resident, I'll be keeping an eye out for it. But, you know, when Margate was flying high in the National League under Chris Kinnear, well, probably 20 odd years ago, they were getting 1,600, 1,800 people. So if they can get successful there with decent facilities, 
people will probably come and watch because you've seen clubs when they've done their ground up or had a newer ground, people want to come because it's the novelty factor and then you hook them in. Yeah, so the, the plans say the north stand, which was uh, the coffin end as it's known at the moment, will be a terrace with a 1300 capacity. And behind this integrated, there will be space for the, the changing rooms uh, with spaces for the for the first team uh, and studio type spaces for various sports and associated activities. And on the first sport for a cafe slash bar facility, which will overlook the pitch. Uh, car park extended, uh, 104 spaces, uh, and the east stand, which is where the uh, the beloved uh, changing rooms currently are. A 120 bedroom hotel together with restaurant and bar facilities uh, and space for the club offices and a club shop together with the stadium control room uh, 650 capacity in that stand uh, and I just think it's you know they've had so many false dawns but as far as I can remember this is the first time we've actually seen proper designs of it you know it, it's always been in the background we've all, the amount of times I've heard the words hearts down park and hotel uh, you know if I had a penny for that I probably wouldn't be worried about this lockdown malarkey um but it, it this looks like this is a massive massive step forward I, I i think he said that they have got permission before haven't they for a so smaller I think, hotel I think smaller hotel so yeah uh, i think this is probably make or break for them really isn't it um there has been where we where i say living in thanet there has been thought again you broke you broke the story years ago john that margate and ramsgate yeah. should merge because again Mar- ramsgate's in a in a very much residential area and then build something maybe on Manston, uh, Jackie Baker's or somewhere like that. So uh, uh, a lot of hard work has gone in for this for Margate. And I think if, if they can get over the line and we finally see a little bit of bulldozers going in, it could be really good for them. I have to say, so I'm quite excited for them to be honest. Yeah, and I, th- I think as well uh, the point that Chris Chambers made there about the uh, about the season finishing. Uh, you know, p- for us, we 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 said a lot. Margate were kind of going nowhere uh, last season, but it's an interesting point when you say you want to hit the ground running, so finish strongly and, and and be able to to sort of fly higher the next year. And I suppose that's a frustration for Margate. Yeah, uh, we we said we did it round asked about face so to speak didn't they when they had Laslett there with the money they were spending a lot of money off the pitch um, on players and they were successful and got promoted to uh, Conference South then they brought the 3G pitch in which I think has been successful as he said there but nothing went off you know when you turn up at Margate you walk in from what it used to be you know it was a good ground in the National League a tight ground there there's not much soul to it now if they can get that back I can't see why not Jay Saunders probably one of the reasons he took the job is probably what he can see going ahead in the future. And of course he will know more than anybody he's seen when he was at Maidstone, you know, when they were playing at Homelands and various places, when they went back to, to the Gallagher stadium, how far they blossomed and he could be the man to take it on. If this can go on from there again, until you see the first bit of work going up or the hotel room going in, you need to make sure that happens. But they put the proposal in, and if the council have got the money in this situation, it's probably a good idea more people staying at Margate and the residents around there who may have an issue with it. I would have thought they'll be pleased we can uh, they can go ahead and forward it. I'll, again, I'll wait to see what happens now. I'll follow the story with um, a little bit of vigour as well, because we've seen it all along for a long time this has happened, and it's feeding to those Margate fans, and hopefully it works out for them.
Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, Jay Saunders is probably uh, the perfect man to have at the helm uh, when all this is, is going to be going on because he's he's been there uh, with the Maidstone United situation and, and, and sort of seen it. And uh, and yeah, and I think he, he's, a, he's a safe pair of hands and he's obviously very much on board with this. And having him at the club gives them a real good sort of um, way of doing things, doesn't it? So uh, fair play uh, to them. Uh, for all of that. Not a lot else going on this week, actually, although there is a story that we must talk about, Matt. Uh, Sittingbourne and Borden Village. Do you know much about this? I read it on the Ken, on, Ken online website. Very good website. Um, Very good. The, the emerging thing. The, the thing that came out of that was that um, Simon Beard was involved. And Simon Beard was a quality defender for Dover back in the day in the late 90s. Centre-half, underrated player. And I've seen him at Crabble a few times. I think he's brought his kids up. I know he's quite into his youth football. And he, he's got a role at Borden Valley, isn't it? And they're mixing together and moving players together, aren't they, on this thing? Yeah, basically, it's going to be... Uh, they, they've, it's an, they already had informal links. And now they're sort of moving on a little bit. Players will interchange between uh, the two clubs as they can. Uh, because obviously there are league restrictions. And Darren Blackburn, obviously the new sitting ball manager, who I don't think has taken a training session yet, uh, <laughs> will be able to send his players down uh, to... Uh, to, to play at Borden Village. Sittingbourne apparently have also applied for a place in the Kent County League so they can field a reserve team. Um, but the tie-up with, with Borden began as the Brickies helped their neighbours finalise a management team of their own, uh, which includes former player Kevin Brown taking over as, management, as manager. And as you mentioned, Simon Beard uh, will be joining him as his assistant. Uh, and uh, and have said the time is, is, is now right to join forces uh, and uh, and Borden have said these are exciting times for the club, which include a link up with City Ball, which will benefit both clubs. Uh, but that, that it has been pointed out they are independent clubs run by their own committee, separate officials. It's not a merger. Uh, they're helping each other out uh, in mutually beneficial ways. Uh, but it does say Darren Blackburn will have an overseeing role over teams for both clubs. Uh, so that's, it's, it's very, very interesting because you know it's one of those places, isn't it, Sittingbourne? Uh, obviously a place that I know very, very well, uh, where it, you would wonder how many teams it can sort of... Uh, hold at those sorts of levels so maybe uh, sort of having that one focus on the town's big team is, is possibly the way to go what's the population of sitting born then john did you say? Well, according to uh to wikipedia it's about sixty-two thousand. Oh, so right. but it's, it's a big place and you would think that sitting born could, could do better that, than they were um but obviously we saw that they did have the big move up to central park that didn't really work out and as i've said to to many previous managers of that club who've appeared in this podcast, Woodstock Park makes it difficult for them, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it, is. I think it probably does. But it looks like the link up there, I think we're seeing it more and more of our clubs, whatever levels you go down to the County League or the Scaffold League, the, the youth element of football, I thought if you can get the people, when they're 16, 17, and they can't go to another level, you're going through a looting, and there's the, the springboard for you. So I think a lot of these link-ups we're seeing are youth football going forward. So and good luck to sit and ball and they do it. And we'll, again, like everything, John, when it gets going in again, we'll be keeping an eye out for all this. We'll be so full of knowledge by the time the season starts, we'll be able to predict who's going to do well and who's not going to do so well from the pod, I'm sure. Well, exactly. A little bit of news from the scaffold very quickly. Andy Constable, a legendary goal scorer, has become player coach at Homesdale, joining up with Lee Roots. And again, four promotion places expected from that division for next season. So that should be quite something. Oh, yeah. That's going to be a really good league next season as well. So, again, I just want football to return, John. When everybody's health and safety, health and safety is back on board. But, yeah, it's exciting times to have you had, I think. It certainly is. Uh, so, 
But that's the football then. Let's talk about uh, everything else. How how are you? You've you've been back at work for a bit, is that right? Yeah, back at work, but then I'm going to be furloughed again uh, shortly. So um, I had to pop into the office. I so saw a few people, which was nice. Um, what have I been doing? Still education. My wife's got a few days off, so um, she's been educating the children as well. Um, got the frustrations that I've had uh, I have been I, I, we don't normally big up other podcasts John so but I have been listening to another podcast um you quite intently but it's, it's nothing really, again they would not be too um not the linkage there of course it's about football but I don't know if you have you heard of um quickly Kevin yes podcast, I have heard 90s, of it, yeah. and it yeah brilliant podcast I also listen to Peter Crouch's well do you listen to Peter Crouch's podcast I don't know no this is 10 times better than the Peter Crouch podcast. Right. Where, where do we fit in that? Uh, well, 100 times better. We're, we're niche market. But I, I think it, we've got Josh Widdicombe and a couple of other guys, and it brings back the heady times of 90s, and their interviews with 90s footballers are, are really good. And I've listened to quite a few episodes. So if, you've got, if you haven't re- listened to the previous 124 episodes of these and you want to listen to a podcast, I would remember uh, recommend Quickly Kevin and the 90s football podcast. Very, very funny. And a lot better than Peter Crouch's, which I just think sometimes is basically a loving, particularly between a couple of the people. Um, the, the Radio One guy gets on my nerves, basically, because, um, yeah, it's all about him rather than I'd rather have it just him, Peter Crouch and the other guys. So. But there you go. That's, that's what I basically have been watching. Ozark watching on the telly. Um, we're on to that, even though my wife finds it pretty depressing. Um, and that's about, about it. Making more th- uh, cakes and bread. Etc. Like that. So if I'm going to be furloughed for three more three more weeks, um, and the weather's not looking too good, it could be uh, um, from there. I haven't been picking my guitar up for a while, and I need to pick that up as well. So, but yeah, apart from that, we're, we're soldiering on. No, oh, good. Uh, yeah, I mean that we're still bedding in the cats. We had a, a couple of incidents over the weekend which weren't particularly good, but um, so we've gone back to basics now. And uh, young Ruby is locked in her bedroom uh, or in our bedroom. Uh, and Ray is, has sort of has the, the run of the rest of the house, and then there's kind of just letting them see each other but not be near each other. Um, so it's it's a slow process, and uh, Ruby is very much still on trial. Um, safe to say. Um, I had a bit of a rough week last week. Uh, I was trolled, and uh, it's safe to say I didn't like it. Um, so, yeah, basically I was um, last Wednesday lunchtime. Um, a brewery that I like put a load of beers on, and they they hyped up the launch so much that you wouldn't believe they were like oh it's going to be brilliant get on our website 12 o'clock get on our website 12 o'clock oh you know and with a lot of these things they're quite limited edition and they and they tend to sell out quickly and they hyped it up so much that their website blew up uh and their response to this on social media was to put one tweet up um that basically indicate it had a laughing emoji on it as if it was funny um, so after an hour and a half of like trying to get on their website, I just replied and said, look, I don't think this is funny, but what's going on? And um, a load of people just piled into me on, on Twitter. And then people started, took my post, screenshotted them and put them in Facebook and started slagging me off. And uh, oh dear. Yeah. yeah, so it was, um, it was social really media not being the best. Well, the thing, the funny thing was like all the people in this on Facebook, it was in a group which I've now left because, you know, that was just ridiculous. But they were all slagging me off for making one social media post they didn't like. But they were all queuing up to make posts about me on social media. And, I, and you know, I just thought it was it, it was just really, really strange. And, and it really did show me 
that you know life can be tough and i'm i'm very glad that social media only became a thing when i was like in my late 20s uh, and and 30s rather than in my teens because i think it would have been a pretty rough time you know rough enough being a teenager without all that pressure that's probably why i won't again i keep uh sometimes i keep my opinions to myself not that i've got that many opinions to be honest but um, i don't really post things out because i've got nothing really exciting to say most of the time apart from about the Kent non-league podcast and the quizzes that I do so yeah I think people are just frustrated of going out have you anything on your business there if the government mentioned about hotels what they're going to be doing I think again nothing to the 4th of July is it well no I mean what one um hotel down the road from us confidently have told everybody they're reopening on the 4th of July which is very interesting because uh, according to the current guidelines it's actually illegal for you to be inside anybody else's house so I don't quite see how in a month's time I'm going to be allowed to have people from six other households come and pay to stay here um so you know I think it's just going to be a case of we're just going to have to keep waiting and waiting and waiting because it's just really really tough um uh-huh. I presume I've never really thought of it that way. When they, when you, you can, six other people can sit in somebody's garden. When they open up your guest house, that basically opens everything else that I could have the whole neighbourhood in my house. Then can't I? Well, you'd have, you would have to say that, yeah, because I mean, for, for, and we're a small one, so you know, if if I suppose that the way it could work out for us is if they said, oh, you could have gatherings of up to fifteen people inside your house, then we can reopen. Yeah. Because we're, our maximum capacity is eleven, but right. bigger hotels that that have got you know that have got even like ten, eleven rooms, they they wouldn't be able to do it, or they'd have to have restricted opening. And then like you know the big hotels and the big hotel chains would be really, really struggling. So I don't know. I, I, we're both of the mindset now that most of our summer this this year is gone, uh, and it's just going to be a case for us of just waiting um, to see what happens but you know we're, we're hopeful that we're going to get through it and, and when things do get back to some sort of normality we're very very hopeful that people will want to come and stay in Eastbourne even all the way up uh, to Christmas and beyond because people just want to get away won't they and you know I don't necessarily think the media is helping when they're talking about foreign holidays because that's not going to happen you know but, and, and I, I really would question anybody who would want to go abroad at the moment in the current climate I think the, the, the consensus is that you might be then put in um, self-isolation for two weeks, isn't it? Or you can't go anywhere from that. So, uh, yeah, it's all strange times, John, but hopefully we're getting through it. Um, and I think I think June is a crucial month. If we've got, after everybody's been out the last few days, um, out and about, if, if there's no second sort of wave, I presume the government, even though they probably, if there was a second wave, they would, probably wouldn't admit it. They can let people go from there. I think that I was quite concerned about there being a second spike now because obviously it was about two or three weeks ago that everybody started clamouring down the beaches. But because that hasn't happened, I'm feeling slightly confident and, and I'm hopeful that things are going to start sort of... Sort of yeah, I, okay, I, don't know, I don't know if it's because of the media's wording, but I think, yeah, it might be... Um, yeah, I think it could be that we're, we're going in the right direction. Maybe I've been brainwashed by the media on this but i think maybe we are going in the right direction i think one of the funniest things is uh apparently and i, I haven't heard this myself but i've been told it uh when the shops reopen which is on the 15th uh if you go into waterstones and you look at a book uh pick it up physically pick it up and don't buy it yeah. uh that book then has to go out the back for 72 hours to be quarantined uh, you know my theory i always go to every, all these places mate and um 
read books, think, take the nine, take a picture of the thing, and then got it from somewhere well, one's else. Got, one's got bars from W. H. Smith for yeah, reading papers, newspapers. So, so um, yeah, I would have thought um, I would be, well, I'd be banned for life if I did that. Oh, so, oh, so you can't actually pick a book up. Well, they give you, well you, you can, but well, they give you gloves when you walk in there. Not, but again, my theory is as well. People going to um, why would you want to go to Blue Water the day it opens up? But a king. I see Dover McDonald's was actually rammed because it opened yesterday and people were, were um, queuing up to get in Ikea. But surely people must have better things to do than doing things like that. Well, exactly. And, and uh, but I think as well, you know, t- today uh, was Eastbourne uh, McDonald's is reopened. So uh, we shall see what what uh, we shall see what happens with that. I, I... <laughs> I'm sure the whole world will be there. Yes, I, I, I mean uh, the queues for KFC the other week. Are uh, people really that desperate for that sort of food? That, clearly, they must be. So um, yeah, apparently it nearly closed the A2. I think it over when it opened up. So yeah, it was the same in in Sittingbourne. I think last week because my dad has to drive past both of the ones in Sittingbourne, which were open. Uh, they because they were near enough to the distribution centre yeah, to yeah. be the first to open. So. Um, so yes, we shall see. But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's just tough, isn't it? Eh? This is all just uh, dark times. And I think we need to try and lighten the mood. So uh, I have just found a story uh, that might cheer everybody up. Uh, the Atletico Madrid midfielder Sal uh, has has been talking about a new club, and he was going to reveal his new club uh, today. And a lot of people getting very excited, saying, "Oh, he's going to sign for Manchester United, or oh, it's going to be brilliant, great news, can't wait." Uh, his new club is Club Costa City, uh, which is an academy project based in the Spanish town of Elche. So uh, that showed them, didn't it? Very, very slow news day, John. Yes. Uh, Elche, incidentally, is not too far from uh, from Torrevieja, uh, where where I go, where I go out to Spain when we were allowed to go to Spain. Do you remember those days? Yeah, uh, mate, yeah, yeah. He's actually born in Elche. So, uh, so that I know is, Elche from Football Manager. Yes, of course. On it. That's the only reason I know them. So, I yeah. think I've actually driven past their uh, past their stadium on a coach trip, and I was right. like, "Oh yeah, oh, I wonder whose ground that is." So I quickly got my phone out and looked. Oh, it's Elche. It's Elche. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, snazzy white and green kit. So uh, yeah, nice. good, good luck to them and good luck uh, with Club Costa City, uh, their forthcoming uh, academy project, which is now beginning uh, with the help of Saul uh, over in sunny Spain. I'm sure the weather is better than it is uh, here at the moment. Anyway, uh, another absolute episode again, mate. Wasn't it? Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know why there's no football yet. We're talking for more, but, but, but that is because let's be honest, we've got we're, we're going out there and we're actually getting some good interviews at the moment. So uh, so. Pat on the back for both of us, I think, yeah? yeah. Decent numbers as well last week. So thank you, everybody, who's continuing to listen. When well, they probably haven't got much better things to do, but appreciate that. And if you are an Absolute United fan, please get in contact when John mentions the, so- the social medias in a couple of minutes. We'd love to hear from you because I've you know, been pretty poo-poo about the idea. Let's hope. Um, y- y- what's the feeling in the uh, Absolute United supporters about this? Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So do get in touch with us on Twitter at KentNLPodcast. You can find us on Facebook if you search for Kent Only Podcast. Uh, you will come across us there. Uh, I'm at JohnFitz81. Matt is at Matthew underscore Gerard. Uh, we would love to hear from you, and, and especially yeah, FC United fans. And you never know, by this time next week, uh, young, young Dennis may find out that he's actually joined the National League South Club, and that wouldn't, wouldn't particularly cheer him up. But uh, who knows what's going to happen with that. We don't know if he's on social media, Dennis. We could copy him in on this, couldn't we? Well, we could. Uh, I don't think he is, but uh, you never know. He might be there. All, all the kids these days are on social media, aren't they? Where's he staying, uh, anyway? 
Well, not staying in a hotel. Maybe she's getting the Eurostar over. All right. It's a trek from Berlin, though. Lovely place, Berlin. What? I've been to Berlin. It's a lovely place. Do you know I've Germany? Been to Red <laughs> Germany is one place that I've not uh, not been to too much. Uh, lovely place, Berlin. Lovely place. Yes, good. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah, so that is uh, the end of this week's Kent Only podcast. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you to all three of our guests uh, for their time, uh, and we ho- we hope you've all enjoyed listening to this week's show. And uh, we will be back with you next week here on the Kent Nonny Podcast. This time next week, Johnny, it could all be over. We actually may have waffled on for the last six weeks about nothing, and we might have something to talk about. <laughs>